Hey guys, it's Sylvie from Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. You're listening to my guys, Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines. Rhino, you know, we're a baseball podcast, but this one has a bit of a football tinge to that. You know why? One of, actually, our very first Hall of Fame football coach joins the podcast. That's right. So you're probably wondering, well, why would you bring a football coach on a baseball podcast? Well, there's a very good reason because Marv Levy, the former head coach of the Buffalo Bills, diehard Cubs fan. And not only that, Chad, what perfect timing. The Buffalo Bills are in the AFC Championship for the first time since Marv Levy was the head coach back in the 90s and he went to four straight Super Bowls so very exciting stuff and fun fact most people didn't know this but Marv Levy also coached the Bills opponent the Kansas City Chiefs we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about Marv's incredible history did you realize this guy went to game seven after he served our country in World War II game seven of the 1945 Cubs World Series and also attended the 2016 Cubs World Series. That's kind of cool. We're going to talk about the huge news with Lester, talk about farewell to some other pitchers, and talk about what the heck is going on with the Cubs, that, and so much more. So stick around, because the Friendly Confines starts right now. Hi, everybody. He's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lieber. And Chad, as always, let us start in the first inning. And we are bookending this podcast with a little bit of love in D.C. Of course, we have a new president of the United States. And, well, Joe Biden, not the only one moving to Washington, D.C. John Lester is following him. He signs a one-year deal to pitch now for the Washington Nationals, or as I like to call them, Chad, the Chicago Cubs North, because John follows now Kyle Schwarber. And, of course, you have Davey Martinez as the manager of the team, who, of course, came from the Cubs. So it just seems like the Nats are stocking up on ex-Cub pitchers. Uh, Chad, we've given John Lester plenty of love on this podcast. What I think has upset a lot of Cub fans, and it's pretty split down the middle, is the fact that the Cubs couldn't match a $5 million offer from the Washington Nationals to try and keep him as the number four starter. Are you okay with the Cubs letting go of John Lester? Are you a little miffed that they couldn't at least offer him more than the $2 million reportedly that the Cubs put out there for him to come back to the team? Yeah, you know, the total value of this deal, I think, ended up being about $4.5 million. So this is one of those situations, you know, with John, eight years old, do they know something we don't know? Do they, you know, did their metrics let them know that John is absolutely on a downward spiral? And that's where I, I do try to trust the system. You know this, dude. You know that I try to be optimistic and I try to trust it. But, my gosh, I mean, if you could have brought him back for – $2 million this year and a couple million dollars next year. I mean, they deferred the money. The Nationals are so famous about deferring salary. If, if John would have played ball and he wanted to come back and all reports share that he wanted to come back, then I'm miffed, right? Because, you know, who are we going to get for our four and five starter? Unless, unless the front office is saying, you know what, we've got guys in Iowa, we've got guys in the minors that are going to come up and they're going to fill those needs and we're ready to turn the corner. But John was one of those guys I would love to have seen the opportunity to get that that kind of like farewell year that he was cheated out of because of COVID. And, the, the, you know, the other piece of it is, you know, I see a lot of things online and I can I can I, I won't disagree with it. Sometimes organizations don't know when to say goodbye. So we're going to find out, you know, with Arietta, we wanted Arietta over you Darvish. And it turned out you Darvish actually was the better option. And, and, and Jake was not the better option. And so do you want to be in the looking back stage of, of, of being a front officer looking forward? And so I hope that the front office knows what they're doing and looking forward. But if we could have got him as cheap as it looked like we could have go get him, bring him back, sell, sell a couple more jerseys, but you're right. Him and Schwarber and Carantini. I mean, no, I'm sorry. Him and Schwarber are going to, to to Washington, rather. Not Carantini, I apologize. But it is a situation where 
they really have decided that they are moving forward and Jed is making some really tough decisions. It makes you realize that, that Theo knew why he was leaving. He did not want to make these decisions. Right. And not only that, you say that you hope the front office knows what they're doing. I have no doubt that the front office knows what they're doing because the front office, I think, from all accounts, wanted to resign John Lester. I think it goes above you know, Jed Hoyer, this is a Ricketts decision. This is the ownership group saying that we are not going to remotely sign any single free agent that is out there who is a part of this team from a season ago or before that. We have already seen, and we're going to get into it more, basically every restricted and unrestricted free agent that the Cubs had the opportunity to sign go elsewhere. And the majority of these players wanted to stay with the Cubs. And it is these paltry low ball offers that we are seeing from the Ricketts because they are pleading poverty for whatever you believe they may or may not be. It is very difficult to watch this team turn into what it is. You said something interesting last week, Chad, when I said, um, you know, I hope this doesn't become 2011 and 2012. And you said, well, we're a long way from that. I got to be honest with you. I don't know if we're a long way from that because the more and more this team starts to come together, the more and more that we're going to see more younger players filling these spots and not done by veterans. So it is concerning that the Cubs at least could not come to terms to try and offer a player who wants to finish his career in Chicago at least the opportunity to do so. Absolutely. Let's move on to the second inning and and some other big news, some concerning news. I think we both agree on this. Chris Bryant was on a one of the Barstool podcasts. We can't get him on this one for some unknown reason, Ryan. We got to work on this. But uh, he was talking about how baseball and and in general he he has felt like recently not having as much fun anymore. He also mentioned in that podcast that he really thought the Cubs had a great chance to sign his pal, his Vegas pal, Bryce Harper, but. You know, are you concerned that Chris is sharing that uh, it's now a business now and the passion's gone? Is is the thrill gone, Rhino? What do you think? Well, it's it's concerning to me that Chris Bryant, who is probably at a point in his career where he doesn't care and he has made that known publicly in the past, that he's going to, you know, play his game. But this is a guy who has had, you know, a lot of criticism come his way, a lot of injuries. Some of it warranted, some of it not warranted at all. And I think I hate to say this, Chad, but we are starting to see a player who recognizes the beginning of the end. And when I mean that, I mean that he sees that he is no longer going to be playing for this organization past 2021. It may be before the season ends. Uh, He may get traded before or at the trading deadline. He may get traded before the season starts. So I think you can see a guy who is starting to kind of a lot, see the tea leaves fall where they are and recognize that he, you know, sees that this is the beginning of the end with his career with the Cubs, that there are uh, other organizations that are very excited to probably have the opportunity to Chris Bryant and that maybe he's ready to just start anew and start over with a new ball club and, try to get himself right and just looking for that change. And he's done everything he can do with the Cubs. But yeah, it's unfortunate that, you know, this is a guy who, when he came out and he was bright eyed and bushy tailed in 2015, you know, he just looked like one of those rookies who was so excited. And now it's starting to become a job for him, even though the man's getting paid 19 and a half million dollars this year, but it is unfortunate to see for sure. What about you? You know, it, 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 it always strikes me when I get lightheaded on a Friday afternoon in, at Wrigley Field watching the, the guys and I'm screaming because of some like go ahead RBI, you know, a little dribbler into right field. And, and, you know, my emotions are like full on. It always sucks when you get pulled back into reality and realize that these guys realize that they're they're just doing a job. They're in an industry. They're working for a company. It's 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 a different situation. And and what when when Chris shared what he shared, it just it's a reminder that they don't feel what we feel. And we shouldn't blame them for that because this is what it is. It is a business. And unfortunately, it's hard for us to sympathize with them because they're making multi-millions of dollars, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars a week um, to do the job. And so when he shares and surprised by it, 
But I also don't put a lot of blame on the Cubs because they are in a situation where they, I think they've made attempts to um, each of the, you know, the, the core four, Schwarber was the core five, the core four, to, to try to bring them on board long term. And ultimately, they're going to get paid what they want to get paid and what they can get paid. So I don't I don't begrudge them that um, I'm not concerned by this. I don't feel like he's going to play any worse or any less. But, you know, this last year was not a passion issue it was an injury issue. And so if he can just play well, he's going to play well for his future. And as you, you mentioned, all the options and all the scenarios, he, he may not be with us by the end of this season, but. I like our chances offensively with all of these different guys on their contract year. And, and Chris is not going to like just lollygag it next year because he has the opportunity to become a $300 million player and set five generations of his family set for life. So, you know, it's what it is. And it's just that reminder. And I hate getting pulled into that from time to time because I just love loving it and just imagining they're out there playing it for the same reason we like watching it. Sure. Good points. Indeed. Third inning now, Chad. And well, let's talk about the pitching staff. We lose Lester and now we lose Jose Quintana and Tyler Chatwood. No crazy surprises. Hugh goes to Anaheim and now will be playing for Joe Madden and the Angels. And then Tyler Chatwood goes up to Toronto to play with the Blue Jays, who all of a sudden have started to become a very hot favorite in the American League. Um, again, I think I go back to this, not that I'm absolutely shocked, but I feel like both of those guys, again, could have looked better at the end of this rotation. And it just goes back to kind of what I talked about in the first inning. We're not seeing this ownership group going out to make any attempts to sign these free agents that are currently on the market that clearly would have probably stayed with the Chicago Cubs. What do you think? I think that it's a little bit of a revisionist history, right? I mean, nobody raved about Tyler Chatwood. Nobody raved about, about Quintana. Nobody did. You didn't, I didn't certainly. And I think there's, you know, this is where, you know, we're, we're saying, Oh, you could have brought those guys back and you could have brought those guys back, but it's not like it's, it's not a situation like John Lester. I think this team is going to move forward, whether it's Braylon Marquez, whether it's Tyson Miller, whether it's your boy, um, Adbert Azale. You know, I this team has decided that they're going to go with with young arms and they're going to live and die with young arms and hope that the stars they have on offense are going to carry them through. So, you know, I, I'm not really sad that Quintana and Chatwood didn't get signed on. Um, it was sad that, that, that they didn't make better efforts with John. Yes, we've talked about that. But I don't think any Cub fan who really was following this team and, and responding like they were over the last couple of years are really upset that they didn't make that move. I think it's, the, it's time to bring in the young guns and see what they have. Yeah, I, that's fair. Again, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that these two would have, like, made any, uh, you know, major dents in, and would have led this team to a World Series. But – they were reliable guys. And if you're going to, I guess, say that you're trying to compete and yet here you have two guys who easily could, you know, fill in in the four and five spots in your rotation. Uh, to me, that just signals that you're not here to compete. You're going to rebuild it. Just say what it is like, say what it is at this point. Don't pretend to make Cub fans look like they're stupid and think that the team you're going to roll out there is going to be this, you know, team that we think is going to not only win the division, but can compete with the Padres and the Dodgers and the Braves and, you know, the Mets and whoever else they think could, you know, possibly win and come out of the NL. Just say what you're, what you're going to do and you're going to rebuild. And, and I would have a lot more respect for this organization right now if they would just say it as opposed to just kind of, saying, well, you know, they just don't fit into our plans or they don't really feel like this is somebody that can help us because I just don't buy that. But, you know, again, the Angels needed pitching desperately. Quintana has the relationship with Madden. Great. Chatwood's going to a team in the Blue Jays that are going to be really exciting to watch. So 
uh, I'm glad for both of them that they were able to find a home and, and be able to, you know, move forward in their careers. Absolutely. So let's move on to the fourth inning. And so it just begs the question, Rhino, what is next for this team? You've kind of shared, you feel like they're in a full rebuild mode. I think we're going to debate this any more than most because I kind of don't feel the same way. I think it's a weak central division and the team's rolling the dice a little bit. So what do you think? What is next for this team? Well, I mean, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, are they going to just kind of go with the young guys in this rotation? Are they going to bring in the, you know, Brillin Marquez guys or, you know, these younger pitchers who are potentially going to Tyson Miller or Corey Abbott, whoever, you know, may or may not, you know, fit that role? Or are they going to potentially go out and, and maybe find some of these guys who are um, coming off injuries that could – be decent pitchers. You know, you got a guy like Chris Archer. Remember when he was like the hot thing? Oh, yeah. With oh, Tampa? yeah. I mean, yeah. people loved this guy. He's kind of fallen off the, you know, the, the planet as far as uh, what he was all about. But maybe you can get him on the cheaper. Even Rick Porcello. I mean, didn't Rick Porcello win the Cy Young Award one year? <laughs> he I was mean, the man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Like, you got guys who are kind of out there that you might be able to get on the cheap. But again, like, are they going to be able to get these guys? Are they going to be able to bring them in? Are they interested in these guys? So they definitely need to think about that. Um, they need a backup catcher. They, they certainly need to sign somebody there. And they need a left fielder. They need like a starting left fielder, Chad. They're, they don't have one right now unless they really think Brian's going to play left and Bodie's going to play third for the entire season. But I don't see that happening. Like I truly believe Brian's going to play third. Which, which means they got to find a guy who's going to play left field because um, I don't think they have anybody in the minors right now that's ready to play every day. So in, I, I'm curious like what they're going to do and, and how they're going to go about finding these guys. But yeah, no, Chad, I don't think this is a team that is going to be able to, quote unquote, as you say, compete. Yes, the NL Central is weak, but that just gets you a first round exit in the playoffs, in my opinion. So I don't think there's really much that we're going to see of this team as far as uh, making moves and uh, in, in making any really um, huge you know, strides if they make the postseason. I, I disagree. I, I disagree. Let's just, let's not talk about pitching right now because we can't talk about pitching right now. But when you look um, at, the way this team is constructed. And I mean, you're discounting uh, Miguel Amaya as, as a potential backup behind Wilson Contreras. I think Wilson Contreras is one of the best pitchers in baseball. I think Anthony Rizzo and, and, and Chris Bryant and David Bodie and Nico Horner and, and, uh, um, and Javier Baez. I think, I think, uh, you know, that's a strong infield and, and, and outfield. If you put Bryant in the outfield with the in half along with, along with uh, Jason. And so, I, I actually, my prediction is actually that we will see Chris Bryant in left field alongside Ian Happ, alongside Jason Hayward. And I think we're going to see Bodie. I think we're going to see Nico. I think we're going to see Javi. And I think we're going to see Rizzo and we're going to see Contreras. And if you could tell me that if those eight guys all have strong offensive years, that we won't be able to outscore the Reds, the Pirates, the Cardinals, the Brewers on a, on a, a, a weekly basis and, and win more games and win the division. I have, I think you're foolish. I, I really think that is a strong core of, of offensive uh, of players. Now the, the question we have, I, I tabled it initially is just to say, you know, is Hendricks Davies and Mills as the starting points, are they going to be good enough? And you're right. There's a lot of question marks there, but there's not a team in baseball that wouldn't love to have Hendricks and Zach Davies showed a lot of promise for the Padres. So, I don't think they're in a full rebuild. I think they're rolling the dice. I think this this team is rolling the dice and saying our offense is going to be good enough to overcome our four and five starters who are going to be young. And who knows what's going to happen if Kimbrell is going to be the guy, if Wick and Wick and, and Winkler and Ryan are going to be the guy along with Underwood and Norwood. Who knows? But I don't think this team and this front office is throwing in the towel. I think they're making a bet and they're going to we're going to know right away. We're literally going to know by the All-Star break if this bet was right or wrong. Yeah, I just don't see it. I, I mean, listen, whatever you're drinking, I love it. But, yeah, I just don't see it happening. Yeah. So yeah. let us move to the fifth inning. And uh, there was some news earlier uh, in the week, Chad, that Theo Epstein, his uh, first job post-Cubs 
president is now going to be a part of the commissioner's office. He's going to be a consultant to Rob Manfred and uh, give his, you know, takes and insight to maybe some ideas of what could go on with the sport of baseball. So it begs the question, Chad, and I know we've touched on this before, but do you think this is step one of Theo Epstein eventually down the line, whenever that may be, one day becoming the commissioner of baseball? I think he'd be foolish. I mean, I think I think the real play here for for Theo is to hitch his star to whether it's the the Portland group or the Nashville group or the Mexico City group. I don't know. I mean, his his opportunity here is to get incredibly wealthy and make a lot of money by jumping into an ownership group and getting, you know, a, a piece, you know, a percentage of it for him, you know. If he just worries about legacy, I mean, he's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't know how Hall of Famers work with general managers and, and presidents and things like that. I mean, he's he's in. I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame no matter what. He could walk away right now. He could have the worst career ever for the next 20 years and still make the Hall of Fame. But if he wants a legacy opportunity, you know, the commissioner office would actually be pretty amazing for him. I like what he's doing here is he's basically saying, I'm going to watch some games. I'm going to enjoy myself. I don't want to advise the team on measures of like analytics and some other changes to the team. What or to, to the league rather, I would love if Theo came in and he was able to ban the shift and do some other, other things like that, but good on him uh, for, for deciding that he didn't want to stay at home and with his, his wife and kids, cause nobody wants that, you know, <laughs> he needs a day job. He needs to get out of the house. And so he's, it, it only took him like a month to make that decision. Yeah. I mean, listen, he's not going to uh, be hurting for cash anytime soon. I mean, listen, he's already a very wealthy guy, right? I mean, and as far as I'm concerned, yes, it's one thing to own a team, but when you get the opportunity to run an entire league, an entire sport, to me, that is a more powerful look and a more uh, impactful position than just being the owner of a baseball team. Because when you're the owner, yes, you have the ultimate final decision on things, but yet you're not into the day-to-day operations. And Theo is the type of guy, to me, who's a hands-on, wants to make decisions, wants to create better opportunities to make baseball the best sport that it can be. And I think that being the commissioner can make that happen for him. And he can, you know, have the ear of all these owners. He can have the ear of, you know, the players association because he has that experience of being a general manager and then a president of a team dealing with players on a day-to-day basis. I think he would be perfect and it would be such a great PR move for baseball because unfortunately Rob Manfred has not made many friends and is certainly not somebody that a lot of people uh, really like in the public eye for sure. Yeah. He does not have a good reputation. So I personally think this would be a great move and it sounds like your household agrees with me and feels like this is a great move as well. So I'm excited. A lot of energy here in the Gordon, Gordon household and uh, <laughs> among the neighbors as well. I've got the windows open. It's a beautiful day here in Southern California. I, you know, here's what I'll, here's what I'll say. And, and I know I, I, um, I kind of kicked off this is this could be one of the most incredible bookends to a career. And if he just, if he, if his sights are set on the commissioner's office, uh, the, the baseball could do, much, much worse than bringing in Theo Epstein. So let's move on to, speaking of much, much worse, let's move on to the sixth inning. And, you know, a former front office guy, I ran ran the scouting and kind of, you know, kind of the, you know, the, the folks that were bringing in um, the big guys, Jared Porter back in 2016, you know, you could say he brought in a Roldis Trapman. You could say he, you know, knew about uh, Addison Russell uh, and, and his situation. Here's a guy that just within about 12 hours, it was discovered that he is a dirtbag, you know, sending sending horrible texts to uh, somebody just trying to do their job um, uh, and, and sending really explicit tests as well. And and basically the Mets wasted no time, which I give them a lot of credit for in axing the guy and so what do you think about that in terms of this uh the former gm of the the new york Mets, jared Al- uh, jared porter Aller, rather ryan what do you think about uh the news that happened very suddenly and then uh 
And it really speaks to uh, just a lot of changes that still need to happen, um, not only in society, but in, in Major League Sports. You know, as we know, Chad, the corporate world is such a different environment than yeah. the world of sports. Things that athletes and people that work in, whether it's baseball or football or ba- basketball or hockey, um, that they got away with and continue to get away with to some degree. I mean, we saw it with the Washington Redskins this year where they had to clean house after a, you know, an entire situation. Um, this is something that I'm glad has been pointed out. I'm glad because these are things that female reporters have had to endure for years, um, going into the locker room, probably getting sexually harassed, getting hit on by players. These are things that they basically just couldn't say anything about. They had to shut up because nobody would take them seriously and basically were told, hey, this is the business you signed up for. You're going to have to deal with it. And it's nice to see that at least now we're living in a culture and a society where we're starting to take this seriously and that this is behavior that, of course, if it was in corporate America, if you and I had done this to somebody, I mean, we'd be in human resources, you know, in a heartbeat and be fired on the spot. Um, Yet we don't see that in sports because there is not that precedent that has been put out there. So good for the Mets. It's unfortunate that we, you know, that this happened on the Cubs watch. And I'd like to think that the Cubs are going to be better about, you know, how they hire people and what their process is like. And I hope that this is, um, you know, something that they can draw from for the future. All baseball teams and all sporting, all sports franchises can draw from to make sure this doesn't happen moving forward. Yeah, I feel the same way. I mean, it's, 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 my biggest concern is how much did the Cubs know about this when it happened and how much did the, did the Cubs uh, turn, turn the other way. And so there more and more that we see the reports more and more that we see, uh, you know, that this was a known story. This wasn't something that just came out in the last week. This was discussed about in the, uh, among people, if the Cubs have some culpability here, you know, they need to answer to that. And I hope they make some changes because this shouldn't happen. This shouldn't be happening. And uh, it's not right. I mean, these are people trying to do their job. And I mean, this is a woman, a young woman that was bullied out of the industry uh, because of this story. And and so I hope she gets justice. Um, I, I applaud the Mets for making really quick action here. And uh, and let's see if 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 more changes could happen, because this for me is inexcusable. And it's it's you know, we're better than this. We're all better than this. And things continue to change. And we all need to be a part of that change. The boys will be right back with their interview with Hall of Fame head coach Marv Levy. But first, a special offer from Federalist Wines. Chad, 2021 is here. We have a new president. We have an upcoming baseball season. So with all that, we should definitely find some time to raise a glass and have a drink as we say goodbye to 2020 for sure. That's right. And why not start your new year right with some Federalist wine? It's the perfect wine to have with any meal or just a drink. That's right. You can pair it with a steak, a burger and fries. It doesn't matter because... The Federalist wine is an American wine crafted for the only tasting note that matters, and that's damn good taste. It's a bold choice with baseball or any sport, and you can pair it with any food you desire. And we have a special offer for you. If you go to uncorked.com, that is uncorked.com, and use the code CUBS20, you get 20% off your entire purchase. Yep. So, of course, this is an American craft wine. It's the Federalist wine. So as Chad said, go to uncork.com, use the promo code CUBS20, get 20% off your purchase. Must be 21 years or older to consume alcohol. Please drink responsibly. Time now for the seventh inning stretch here on the Friendly Confines. And Chad, do we have a great one. You know, it's not every day, Chad that we have a Hall of Famer that we get to talk to today. But he's not in the Hall of Fame for baseball. He's actually in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But does this man have great connections to the Cubs? 
and what great connections he has to, of course, his career in the NFL. He is, as I mentioned, a diehard Cubs fan. He wrote a great book for children called Go Cubs Go. We're going to talk to him about that. But you probably know him more so because he was the very successful Hall of Fame coach for the Buffalo Bills. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to welcome Hall of Famer Marv Levy to the seventh inning stretch. Coach, thank you so much for joining us here on the Friendly Confines. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's my pleasure to join you and communicate with you and with the good fans listening in. Well, it is such an honor to get you on our program. We really appreciate it. So before we talk about the Cubs, Coach, we got to talk about the Buffalo Bills. This is great timing that we're having you on. They're in the AFC Championship for the first time since 1994 when you were the head coach and you led the team to their fourth consecutive Super Bowl. And ironically enough, they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, the team you beat to get to the 1994 Super Bowl. So I know you've uh, sent notes to Sean McDermott uh, last week to congratulate him and chat with him. I'd just love to know first what your impressions are of this Buffalo Bills team and what you said to Coach McDermott after they won last week to get to the AFC Championship. Well, uh, when I was no longer a Bills coach, I became a Bills fan. Hmm. I followed them closely over the years. And when they hired Sean McDermott, I thought they were making a great, great move. Sean and I have communicated on several occasions. He's asked for a little bit of advice uh, sometime, but he's he's doing 98% of it on his own. I think the world of him, I'll, I'll expand a little bit. Way back in my earlier coaching years, I coached for five years at the College of William & Mary, and those were the most outstanding student athletes you could imagine. They really personified it. And Sean is a graduate of the College of William & Mary. That makes me even more uh, supportive. Also, the Buffalo Bills fans, I don't mean to insult anybody, but there's no one else like them. They were so supportive. They were so uh, meaningful in inspiring our teams to fight our way back into the Super Bowls, even though we had lost the previous one. Coach, you kind of alluded to it. How much would it mean to the city of Buffalo to win a Super Bowl with, like you said, arguably the, the best fans in football. What what would that city look like if the Bills ended up winning the Super Bowl finally? Oh, boy. I tell you, I don't think I'd want to go there. <laughs> I think the celebrations <laughs> would be would be right. No, they, they weren't destructive fans. I'm only kidding on that. No, Buffalo would be just uh, so, so immersed. And it's not just Buffalo. Uh, all that western, northern part of of New York, tremendous supporters, and many people, about 20% of our fans flocked across the border from Canada and came down to support us as well. You know, Coach, this is Chad here, and it's it's so hard to repeat. It's so hard for a team to, to, to go back to the Super Bowl. I am always in awe of, of what your teams did, um, even though you never could take down the crown, but to make it to four straight Super Bowls, when you reflect on your career, I know it's got to be disappointing you didn't lift the trophy, but to do it four straight times, I'm not sure we'll ever see that done again. What do you think? Uh, I think it, it's very, you never know, but it sure would be a tremendously difficult road to, to, to travel. And uh, part of the reason the day I was hired, sitting in the office of our team owner, a wonderful man, Ralph Wilson, with our general manager, one of my best friends ever, Bill Polian, we made, a, we made uh, an agreement that we would bring onto our team only players of high character. Now, they, their personalities might differ. Some might be extroverts. Some might be more reserved. But did they not blame their teammates? Did they bounce back from from uh, defeat? Were they good citizens? And that's part of the that's a big part of the reason beyond their wonderful playing ability why we were able to get back to those bowls even after the crushing disappointment of losing one. Coach, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the Cubs and your connection to Cubs baseball. You've been a longtime diehard Cubs fan. I know you were at the 1945 World Series. First, how did you become a Cubs fan? And two, 
What are your memories of that 1945 World Series when you went to the games uh, when you were younger? Well, uh, I, I grew up in Chicago. My father had been an outstanding high schooler. He was the, picked as the uh, outstanding basketball player in the city of Chicago in his, his youth, fought in the Marines during World War I, uh, a great father for me to have. But he was a tremendous Cubs fan, and he, he uh, and because of him, it spilled over onto me. Then you could buy bleacher seats for and uh, so during the Depression. So we'd go to the Cubs games. We'd listen to it on the radio. There was no TV at that time. And then uh, finally, uh, the, the Cubs uh, uh, had, had, won, had, had won the pennant at 1929, I was four years old. They won it in 1932. They won it in 1935. They won it in 1938, but they didn't win the World Series. Mm -hmm. They lost in the World Series. Well, World War II began. I was in service in the Army Air Corps. In 1945, uh, the war had just ended in April of, in August of 1945. I was home on furlough. So was a high school friend and teammate of mine. And um, the Cubs won the sixth game of the World Series. Everybody flocked over to Wrigley Field to stand in line. The line was out of sight, but the Cubs administration came through and they moved everybody in uniform. We still hadn't been discharged yet up to the front of the line. And we got tickets to the seventh game of the 1945 World Series. It had been since 1908 that the Cubs had won a World Series before. And um, the Cubs, came, they barely lost the game. Mm -hmm. And so as we were filing out of the stadium, my good friend that was with me, Herb Melnick, started to wait till next year. <laughs> and that's what the Cubs have been saying all those many years until 2016 finally came. And they did win the World Series. And they had invited me back to lead the singing of the Star Spangled Banner at that game, uh, which I did. And uh, so I rambled on, but at least that's the, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That is that is a great story, and coach, thank you so much for your service. Uh, so let's talk about that that 2016 uh, season and that 2016 win. What did winning the World Series? What did that mean for you? I mean, you've obviously you just talked about your Cubs resume. It's it's longer than most. What did that win mean for you? Um, how did it feel? And and and. Uh, and, and just tell us what your emotions were, if you could think back to 2016. Oh, no, just follow the series closely. Uh, as I say, the Cubs had invited me uh, to one of the games. I was there, um, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful time here in Chicago. Uh, Chicago is really a great city I grew up in, and like and when I moved back to it after I retired, it has its bad points, but it has its great points. And it was so, the, the town was so wonderful. There wasn't any rioting or anything of that nature. Just magnificent celebrations going on. And um, over the years, by the way, I had gotten to know very well uh, a legendary cub announcer, Harry Carey. And Harry has a restaurant where there are a lot of former sports figures who are part owners. And they asked me to join, which I did. Guys like Bob Costas, Ryan Sandberg, a great Cub player, all became friends. But that day, that day and that time in Chicago was a lot of celebration, but not, not no rioting, not, no breaking into places. That makes it even more enjoyable. Yeah. Coach, do you have any good Harry Carey stories of your time together with him when you guys uh, would maybe hang out for, uh, occasionally? Anything that comes to mind? Well, uh, I'll tell you how I first met him. Uh, I was coaching the Bills. It was the off-season. I was back in Chicago with my wife, and we went to the Harry Carey's restaurant in Chicago. They brought us in. We sat over at a table with someone in the corner, and um, uh, I ordered a glass of wine. And a little bit later, the waiter came over and said, uh, that man over there said that he wants to buy another glass of wine. I looked at him. I didn't know. who. I said, who is he? He said, that's Harry Carey. So uh, after dinner, my wife and I went over and sat with Harry and his wife, Dutchie. We got to know him. We met him on many occasions. Dutchie is still a friend of ours. And uh, we, 
later, I said, became part owner. But Harry was a wonderful, cordial guy and uh, still renowned here in Chicago. So, Coach, how, uh, you know, after the 2016 season, the, the Cubs have been playing on, how, how closely do you follow the team? Do you get to go to Wrigley? Do you have any fun memories of your time at Wrigley that, that aren't associated with the World Series? Well, uh, I went many times when I was younger. Um, I don't go back a lot now. You can see it on TV and all of that. And uh, the Cubs, you know, I still follow the Cubs. Uh, when you're when you're a little bit younger than I, I guess you're a more avid fan. But I, I'm still for them. I pull for them. And, uh, and I pull for them because I'm pulling for the people in Chicago as yeah. well. Coach, is there any symmetry? I'm thinking about this when you answered your question uh, about the memories you had from, you know, 1945 on. Is there any symmetry in your mind between the Buffalo Bills and the Chicago Cubs when it comes to just waiting patiently for that championship like Cubs fans have and now how Buffalo Bills fans have been so close and are waiting for that moment as well? Well, I think you can draw parallels, but uh, every game is different, and uh, fans are fans, and and the game is important uh, because of three components. The participants, of course, the fans who make it that way, and the media that conveys it. So I have respect for all three. Coach, when you think about about leadership, I I love what you said earlier. about high character players and just ensuring that 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 you wanted to coach the the guys that you were able to coach and not everybody has that ability it seems at times they haven't they aren't able to take that stand but when you think of leadership when you think of coaching when you think of your role in shaping men and and drawing up game plans what is the one memory you have as a hall of fame coach what do you think back when you when you think about the opportunity you've had and and uh and and how you're able to impart that wisdom in your you know You've had such great success. How do you think you were able to do that? Well, I, I was fortunate in that I was able to play and later associate with some great coaches who exemplified what a coaching life should be. My high school football coach, Nate Wasserman, was great. Then in college, Dick Clawson, my college coach, who after I graduated and went off to Harvard Law School, said, if you ever want to coach, you got a job with me, Marv, and that's what I did. I went back. What a leader he was. Later, a great athletic director at, at uh, University of Arizona, he was. And then I got to know, in my young years, a coach from the University of Oklahoma named Bud Wilkinson. And again, he captured what a coach should be like. A good teacher, high character. There are coaches with high character. There are coaches with questionable character. I realize that that's true in almost every field but uh, uh, I, I was fortunate to know uh, many of the greats and to associate with them and then become an assistant in the pros with George Allen and what a remarkable man he was uh, George and I, I learned so much from him hey everybody this is Ryan Dempster and you're listening to Chad and Ryan on the friendly confines podcast and what a great interview that so was. So good. So good. Pro Football Hall of Famer Marv Levy, thank you so much. It was cool to catch up with him. Chad, I'll tell you what, man. I hope I hope I can live God. to be that long and be as sharp as he is at 95 years old. Pretty incredible stuff. What a great career. Four-time Super Bowl uh, coach. Never won the game, but he is a two-time CFL champion when he coached uh in the cfl and of course he loves the chicago cubs i mean to be able to have been at the 45 world series and the 16 world series yeah pretty it's remarkable amazing. stuff man. it's pretty amazing yeah i mean here's a guy that like just has not lost his fastball you you i mean you said it like i, I would right now mortgage my house if i could have what he has from an energy standpoint, a uh, middle acute. I mean, he, he just was sharp as a tack. So I hope, I, I hope, hope that's not, not coming out the wrong way, but I mean, 95 years old. And I feel like that he, you know, he just, he carried the, the, the conversation with us. What a great guy. And it's always an honor to be able to talk to somebody that really truly is uh, one of the greats. And, and, and he is a hall of famer and uh, what a great gift for us. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And go Cubs go is the book. You can find it online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If you have 
children or know somebody that has kids that would enjoy it, I certainly would recommend it. It, it would be a great read for any young Cub fan. And uh, don't forget, social media, even though Marv doesn't have social media, we have social not. media. Yeah, Chad is at the Chad Gordon. I am at Ryan D. Lieber. You can find us on Twitter there. And then, of course, you can find us on Facebook. We're at the Chicago Cubs Friendly Confines Facebook page. We always love interacting with you. So certainly be sure to check us out and, of course, follow our page there as we move on to the eighth inning. Yeah, and don't forget, uh, if you have an opportunity to follow us, engage with us, connect with us. Let us know if you've got some ideas on upcoming inning topics because we would love to hear what you want to hear us talking about um, coming up in upcoming episodes. So we move on to the eighth inning as you talk about Rhino and uh, kind of a, a moment passed in the last week that kind of came and went. Now, granted, I've never gone. I've never gone ever. My best buddy Edgar and I have always wondered why we've never gone. I don't like waiting in lines for autographs. That's why I've never gone. But the Cubs convention normally would have happened in the last week, Rhino, and there was not even a virtual they could have done such an amazing job to reach out to the fans and connect and bring people in. And I feel like the Cubs have just decided, screw it. We're going to reset and figure out what's going on. Why no Cubs convention in this offseason, Ryan? What yeah, do you think? I, I'm totally in agreement with you on this. This is kind of sad. And this kind of goes back to my point about what the ownership group is doing right now. There could have been a lot of, you know, olive branches that, you know, could have been extended during this time and yet the rickets seem to just continue to just be their own worst enemy and and trip over themselves every single time i understand that they don't want to put themselves out there dealing with questions about the marquee sports network or dealing with questions about um you know what they're doing with this team but as you said they could have easily done some virtual things to make it at least to some degree, a fun experience for fans. And when you see the St. Louis Cardinals, who came up with such creative ideas for their Cardinals caravan this year, they did an anniversary of the 2011 World Series team where they had players from the 2011 team being able to do a Zoom with everybody, and they had people being able to get on. You would pay for that. They had such great ideas. They had one about what it's like being a player's wife and they had hmm. player wives on Zoom with their husbands talking about life as a spouse to a player. I mean, and, and then they had cooking segments and all this stuff. The Cardinals came up with such great ideas. It made me angry because I felt like the Cubs could have done so many cool things, especially you got a new broadcaster in Boog Shambi who you could have put out there to do a Q&A with fans as well. I just really felt like, Chad, this was a huge, huge missed opportunity for this franchise. And it just continues to, you know, just disenfranchise these fans to this this ball club right now. That's my take on that. What about you? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, they are doing things for they're doing things for the season ticket holders. So they, they, they are doing like different panels that the season ticket holders can be. Um, a part of and and you know that's a nice thing as a season ticket holder i appreciate it but why would you not i mean all these people that have for years and years and years have joined these sessions and and been a part of these sessions why would you not um you know follow through on that i mean it's it, it, somebody on the social team somebody on the production team somebody in the marketing team really drop the ball here because we're all kind of stuck at home right now why would you not i mean and, and how hard it would would it be to like loop in can you know wilson Contreras from venezuela if that's where he is or javi in puerto rico i mean it, it, you don't even need to fly the people in just have them join sessions so why the cubs decided just to do nothing makes no sense to me um it, it's it's bewildering uh, this was an opportunity uh to to connect with the fans and they they chose not to and i i have no idea why yeah, they really struck out on this one, and uh, pun intended, of course. Uh, so let's finish up in the ninth inning, Chad. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, we're bookending this with some Washington, D.C. news. We talked about John Lester going to Washington, D.C. Well, as our new president takes office, we have to remember, Chad, that once upon a time, 
only five years ago, the Cubs made an appearance at the White House when Barack Obama was president. It probably, I honestly have to think, I mean, from what I can remember of sports teams visiting the White House, it had to be, and I'm not just saying this because I really believe this is the case, it had to be probably the biggest party in the White House of any team visiting a president. There were so many Cubs fans in the White House that day wearing their Cubs gear, going crazy. The house was packed. And I understand that, you know, sports teams are invited to the White House and you have, you know, NBA champions, NFL champions, college, the whole gambit. But when the Cubs were there, I remember it was just a different atmosphere when Barack Obama brought them there and all the people that were from Chicago that grew up Cub fans that are now working in D.C. and working in the White House. It was really something to behold. And I honestly believe it was probably one of the coolest moments in White House history, having a franchise that had won a championship visit that uh, that White House. What about you? I, I loved it. And, you know, and, and and it was it was interesting because this was a rare team that actually went twice because they went later on during the summer when they, they came to see the Nationals and they they stopped by Trump's White House. But it just showed I, I was watching a video of, of Obama's time there um, when he was in front of the group and, and his, you know, him, you know, he was always so smooth about making little comments about being a White Sox fan. And and uh, and he had such great uh, I don't know, he just he could control the room so well and he could he could work it. It was you're right. It was it was a, it was a beautiful coronation for a Chicago president to uh to greet uh the chicago cubs on such a historic time it was a beautiful thing and uh yeah it's it's just you know it's it's fun that we have those memories five years ago now um or you know uh 16 i guess i guess we're not uh yeah no no we're, we're four and a half years ago from when they won it um but it's sad because i'm starting to wonder rhino if the memories are all gonna have left <laughs> are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna pour the champagne again Hold on to those memories, buddy, because, yes, as you said, that's uh, basically about uh, what we're going to be having uh, in the next few years. So uh, at least we, as I say to people, at least we have 2016. Well, that is going to wrap things up on this edition of the Friendly Confines. Once again, our thanks to Hall of Famer Marv Levy for joining us. So cool to talk to him. For Chad, I am Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one. just a game for I've seen other teams and it's never the same when you're born in Chicago you're blessed and you're healed the first time you walk into Wrigley Hey everyone, I'm Chad Gordon. And I'm Ryan Lieber. We're the hosts of the Friendly Confines podcast. Each week we'll bring you the latest Cubs news from the fans' perspective with some of the biggest names in sports. Joe Buck, welcome to the Friendly Confines with Chad and Ryan. Yeah, oh my God, I'm happy to do it. Pat Hughes, welcome to the seventh inning. Happy to be here, Chad. It is Len Casper. You got it, Ryan. Chad, happy to be with you guys. The Hawk, Andre Dossett. What is my distinct pleasure? I'm doing fine, thank you. We're also excited to bring you new episodes as part of the Barroom Network. So if you're a Cubs fan or even just a baseball fan, be sure to check out the Friendly Confines podcast every week on the Barroom Network. This is Andre Dawson, and you're listening to Ryan and Chad on the Friendly Confines podcast.